Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Noelle Cordeaux. Noelle is CEO and co-founder of Journey Coaching. She's also a feminist scholar, ICF certified coach, speaker, and sexologist who specializes in the relationship with the self. She has carved out a unique niche in the world of coaching, combining positive psychology with clinical sexology. Noelle holds a BA in literature from Rutgers University and a graduate certificate in excellence and professional coaching from the University of Texas at Dallas. Her graduate studies also include a PhD in human sexuality from Widener University. Now, of course, we need to take responsibility for our behaviors, our actions, but here's something else to consider. Our brain has some incredibly powerful chemicals that are making us think, feel, and react and respond the way we do. My next guest is going to shed some light on how to manage our minds so we can control the chemical surges that give us those great big highs as well as those great big lows. Here's Noelle. Okay, everybody, you're in for such a treat today because I have Noelle Cordeaux with us. And we're going to be talking about the three things every woman needs in her breakup survival kit and the four things every man needs in his. How cool is that? Welcome, Noelle. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. So, uh, you know, I'm so intrigued just even by the title of this. So let's, let's just dive right in. Talk to us about the brain chemicals that play a role in, in romance. And, and we'll take it from there because I know that has, you know, in the beginning we feel one way and later on we feel another way. And keeping in mind that uh, and I always say to anybody who's gone through a betrayal right afterwards, it is certainly not the time to date. Uh, we need to get ourselves to our best place physically, mentally, emotionally before we do. But, uh, but uh, I know you're going to help us get there so we can take those next steps. So with that in mind, let's just, let's just get going. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the first thing that we really have to clearly understand is that romantic love is actually a motivation system. It's a romantic motivation system that has served a phenomenal purpose in our evolutionary history as humans. And on top of it, romantic love is an addictive drug in the brain. So when we first fall in love, um, we experience a lot of chemical changes that take place in the brain. For me, the most noteworthy is serotonin. Serotonin is your regulator. That's that's the P, that's the brain chemical that as you're going through your day keeps you slow and steady. When you fall in love, serotonin goes out the window. And that brings on all of these wonderful risk-taking behaviors that makes people downright unreasonable when they mm-hmm. first fall in romantic love. And it lasts about 18 to 24 months. That's the period that's commonly known as limerick. What's it known as? Say that one more time. It's known as limerence. Okay. Limerence. So that's the first 18 to 24 months of any relationship. Whenever I'm working with couples or even talking to my friends and they're saying, oh, I think I want to get married. I'm like, wait, 24 months. (laughs) And this is, so this is the time where you don't notice the, the socks on the floor. (laughs) I guess that's, that's within this time frame. Absolutely within this time frame. And, you know, that, that's when you're, um, you're kind of blind to many of the behaviors that might trip you up long term. Um, and you're just really just kind of um, perhaps maybe obsessed with that person or that individual. Mm-hmm. 
Great. The, yeah, so there are there are several central aspects of it. So when you're in this stage, when your serotonin levels have dropped, you're going to experience focused attention. You're going to aggrandize your adore your the one that you adore. It's like the pink lens effect. Mm -hmm. You might have intrusive thinking where you can't get that person out of your head. There's going to be emotional exhilaration, increased energy. Um, it's going to be a torrent of emotion mood swings, yearning for union, looking for clues, reading into gestures and words. Have you ever experienced when somebody's really fallen in love, they're obsessively listening to song lyrics mm. <laughs> and they're looking for clues in the world mm. for this person and changing priorities where you're starting to center this person. Um, and all of this kind of goes into heightened passion and, um, you know, it, 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 it rolls through lots of different aspects of our existence. Hmm. Okay. So, and everybody's thinking, oh my gosh, I remember that stage. What happens after that? Well, then the serotonin levels drop mm -hmm. and we kind of go into our, our everyday, you know, everyday life. And that's when um, emotional memory takes over. So, Something that I found absolutely fascinating is that in humans, the deeper the verbal emotional connection, mm -hmm. it grows a part of your brain that supports pair bonding. That is the same part of your brain that is responsible for chemical and opioid addiction. So explain that even more so. Mm -hmm. So when limerence wears off, when that 18 to 24 period wears off, what keeps um, humans together is mm -hmm. emotional memory mm -hmm. that takes place in the part of your brain that is responsible for pair bonding. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's called the insular cortex. It's associated with emotional memory. Mm -hmm. And that is also the part of your brain that when you go through withdraw withdrawal from, from opioid or cocaine addiction, that's the part that lights up. And so when you're going through a breakup and you feel like you're dying, that's why because it's the part of your brain that's responsible for emotional memory and the deepening of pair bonding that is just aching and pulling and wanting those chemicals to come back. Huh. So, so just to make this so entirely practical, can you give us, let's say, two scenarios of, let's say, the 18 to 24-month 20, period is, is weaning, right? And now here's where something would show up that makes, let's say, that, that couple more likely to stay together or work together or, or fall in love as opposed to what happens, you know, let's say the same 18 to 24 months and now that time frame is over and what's now lessening and, the, you know, it's not coming back. So they're drifting apart and it's not looking good. Yeah. So two scenarios, if, if the couple's going to stay together, we're looking at basic courtship rituals, which is romance. Um, language, talking, sharing, being together, having rituals that you engage in as a couple that support um, some sort of family dynamic. Um, if the couple is going to drift apart where there's not a lot of verbal connection, there's not a lot of emotional intimacy, we don't have rituals outside of sex that are supporting the emotional memory aspect of the brain. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's it sounds like it within the first 18 to 24 months yes of course the emotions are important but not nearly as important as 
at the, at that point when that, you know, the serotonin starts to lessen a little bit and then those emotions better kick in in the right way or we're in trouble. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. So then what, so then let's just say uh, those emotions are kicking in and then what, what happens? Tell us what's going on in, in, in the brain and the difference in, you know, what we would experience, let's say if things are going well or things aren't like to continue yeah. the process. It, it, if, if things are, are, are going well, um, uh, there's um, just a deepening of the verbal emotional commitment and you kind of, your, all of your, um, your serotonin comes back your dopamine levels will regulate um, and you'll move into kind of like a steady flow. And that steady flow tends to go in four year cycles. Mm -hmm. So every four years, the couple that stays together is going to kind of need to shake things up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at what helps love stay doing novel and exciting things, Mm -hmm. to replicate the feeling that we had when that serotonin dropped in the first place. Um, prolonged eye gazing, that increases dopamine, feelings of attraction, touch, massage, triggers endorphins, oxytocin, feeling of attachment. More arousal gives you increased testosterone, mm -hmm. increased dopamine. So single people have higher levels of testosterone than couple people. Mm -hmm. So we want to keep that testosterone up for increased arousal. Um, anything that can really trigger oxytocin, hugging, um, stroking, intimacy, um, SSRIs do sometimes inhibit all of these things. So it's mm -hmm. just something to be aware on if mm -hmm. you're using an SSRI, mm -hmm. um, and stay mentally stimulated. Your prefrontal cortex, your reasoning center that's connected to your amygdala, which is emotions and memory mm -hmm. that needs constant stimulation to remain intellectually interested in your partner. So the best way to think about this is when you first meet your biological urges take over mm -hmm. and everything is just really, really exciting. But as humans, if we're in it for the long haul, it's your brain, it's your intellect, it's your mm -hmm. interest that needs to, needs to take over. And that needs to be done in partnership. Mm -hmm. Now I'm always trying to get into the minds of my listeners and I know everybody listening has been through some form of betrayal or they wouldn't really have interest in this show. Most of which are partner betrayals. So now I know there's a lot of hurt, a lot of pain around, you know, when you, when you mentioned something like the four year cycle and then everything starts, you know, lessening and it's, it's sort of, you know, and what would, what would increase that is the eye gazing and this and that. I, I know some of my listeners are saying, so are you saying that that's what I maybe didn't do and that's why this happened? What, what can you, what can you offer to, to that person who's thinking, I, you know, I, I was a really good partner. I was very attentive and loving and everything else. Um, are you saying that if I do that next time I'll be in better shape and things won't happen again? I, I just want you to sort of move through that a little bit because I just want to be so sens sensitive to what they're experiencing. Absolutely. So coupledom isn't a unilateral project. It takes two. It takes two people. If two people are equally and actively committed to the intellectual stimulation, to the physical stimulation, to growing, to deepening those emotional thresholds in the part of your brain that's responsible for pair bonding, we have a ball game. Mm -hmm. Naturally, people turn away when that serotonin restores. The excitement is gone. Uh, we start looking around. Um, if one partner 
wasn't present or equally committed to that process, things get a little stale. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody who's been in a long-term relationship has had the experience of kind of looking at the person across the room and being like, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, um, why, why are we doing this? Why are we here? How does this work? So if you're, if you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, I was a good partner. I did all these things. I asked for these things. I tried to communicate my needs. I tried to anticipate and support the needs of my partner. It's not necessarily you. It is your brain chemicals. So if we're looking at romantic love, um, for its addictive qualities, we also need to understand the role of dopamine, Mm -hmm. which is a limbic reward system, right? So dopamine really messes up so many different things in our everyday life. Every time you get an email, every time you get a text message, Mm -hmm. a Facebook message, a Facebook like, an Instagram like, a DM, you get a hit of dopamine. So most adults, and I hasten to say teens, even some kids are stuck on these um, dopamine addictive loops. Mm -hmm. And you have to take that into account when you're evaluating your partners or even yourself and your relationships. To what extent is dopamine playing a role? So how this works is when you're not getting that constant hit of attention, whether it's from your partner or from a a piece of technology or an application that you've become Mm -hmm. addicted to, Mm -hmm. you start looking for it. Mm -hmm. You start wanting to it. And when we look at brain scans of folks who have unrequited love, that part of the brain that wants the intellectual connection is totally lit up. And then the person who's left, that part isn't so lit up. They're out there looking for that dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. So how, how do we increase our dopamine. Give us some ideas around how to increase the dopamine without hurting, let's say, our relationship. Uh, Well, you know, dopamine can be overused. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think one of the first things to realize is that, you know, if we're, if we're looking for this, this dopamine um, hit is it at the expense of, um, of a deepening, which would be oxytocin, um, which would also include oxytocin, norepinephrine, um, and serotonin. So um, when you get a text message, you get that hit of dopamine. And it keeps you in a state of rapt anticipation, wanting the next hit. Mm-hmm. When you actually sit with another human and have a conversation and have um, an intellectual engagement or a romantic engagement, you get the serotonin regulator, you get the follow through, you get the oxytocin and the um, norepinephrine, and that creates an actual deep driven satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So we have to start recognizing that those little tiny hits of dopamine that we're all accustomed to are actually an incomplete process and will leave us unsatisfied. You know, and, and the, the simplest way I can think of to explain this is the, the dopamine is like the cookie. It's just, it's so instant and there it is. It tastes good and, there, and it's gone. And now you're just left with the, the cookie hangover. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and when you actually sit down with your partner and you have a long drawn out meal with many courses and wine and deep intellectual conversation, you come away from that truly satisfied. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so give us a, if, can you give us some scenarios of, of like how you've helped people just with these brain chemicals so they can be more, I don't want to say stable, but more, I guess the, the, the serotonin is more regulated. The dopamine is more regulated and you've seen, you know, what you've seen, what you've helped them to create and what it led to. 
Yeah. So step one, get off your phones. Put your phone away when you come home. If, if you want to be focused on your families, if you want to be focused on your partners, um, ease distractions mm-hmm. and have these conversations. Talking with your partners, your kids, your families about the role of technology and dopamine and how it's disrupting genuine connection is really important to have. Um, according to Barbara Fredrickson, what love, the neurobiological definition of love is, is micro moments. It's mm. micro moments of connection. And within that micro moment of connection, it's an agreement for mutual care. And it requires eye contact. Mm-hmm. When you go out to dinner, take some time to look around a restaurant at other people who are dining. I bet you'll see that 90% of them have their phones out at the table and are not engaging in eye contact driven conversation. You know, um, it's so it's amazing you say that I just flew home from a, a, a recent trip and the second the plane landed, uh, everywhere I looked, every single person bar none had their phone out. It was and I get I get it. They were saying I landed, whatever, or getting their ride, but it was amazing to me how every single person was buried in their phone. Very much. And what that does for us, especially in the context of the relationships that matter the most, the relationships that take place in our homes, we're missing social cues. We're not observing behavior. We're not reading body language. We're not making eye contact. We're not building the intimacy and the intellectual stimulation with each other that is required to activate that part of the brain that will sustain long-term commitment. And then, yeah. And, and, you know, and it's, and I would love you to talk about that further, but, but I I have to say just even to, to simplify this so much, just putting the phone down shows someone that they matter, that they're important enough to focus and pay attention to. And I, I, I can't tell you how, how often I I see this and, and listen, I've been guilty of this too, where it's just so available, but here's this person that you love. And by you just finishing that text or finishing that email or checking your Facebook or whatever it is, that person is getting a very clear and distinct message that they just don't matter as much as what you're doing with your phone in your hand. Yeah. And because these addictive behaviors have become so entrenched, it's often unconscious. We're doing it unconsciously. So to bring consciousness into your relationships is what will solidify them. Wow. Okay. In many different ways. And then, you know, a lot of times when I work with this stuff with individuals, it's like, you know, let's understand what's going on in your brain, right? Um, so when, when someone is, is love-stricken, when they're feeling that pull from their partner, um, a lot of other brain chemicals get jumbled. And so to understand, okay, you know, right now, that part of your brain that's responsible for pair bonding, that was all lit up when things were so good and happy and wonderful, when you feel an actual pull of withdrawal, like you're losing your mind, it's your brain. It, that's, that's absolutely real. So we want to validate that you're going to feel frustration. You're going to feel panic. You're going, that's when your cortisol goes through the roof mm-hmm. and dopamine goes up. So it creates this frenzy, dopamine, norepinephrine, cortisol, just start going completely bananas when you feel this pull. Mm-hmm. So how do we know if you can give us just the most concrete examples of like where our mind is just getting hijacked and it's chemicals and, and 
how we should really understand that it's chemicals and not, you know, we're not making this stuff up. What will we feel? What we, will we experience? What does it mm-hmm. look, feel, and sound like? So stage one is protest, where it's frustration, it's panic, the cortisol is going through the roof. Um, your amygdala is activated. That's your reptilian brain. That's your fight or flight response. Um, serotonin lowers. When, so it's, it's like, it, it's amazing how it's a cyclical process. Serotonin lowers when you fall in love and then serotonin lowers when you're losing love, but it brings on different sets of impulses, stalking, jealousy. So when you feel yourself wanting to look through your partner's phone or look at that Facebook account, this is directly related to the lowering of serotonin. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then step stage two, if the, if the love is not requited, if you're actually feeling rejection, that's when depression kicks in. Mm-hmm. Very low levels of dopamine. The frenzy is over and you're left with this just like hangover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, men are more likely to use alcohol and drugs and engage in reckless behavior. Mm-hmm. Women uh, cry, withdraw socially, and lose weight sometimes. And they have a need to retell their story over and over. Mm-hmm. And, and that was something... Um, for me with my friends as a woman that it was so enlightening to see that that compulsion to -hmm. tell your story over and over is totally normal, a hundred percent normal. And having had access to this education, I had a really good friend who was going through a breakup and I said, I'm going to come over and let you sit there and tell me your story as many times as it takes to get it out. Because I know that you need to repeat this over and over again. And I love that you brought that up. But then there's also that that point where we say it so many times we're solidifying it and we're we're rooting it to the point where that story becomes our identity. How do we know when we're making that transition from we need to share our story to, you know, I, I need to do something about this story now? So there's another time frame. Mm-hmm. So 18 to 24 months is what it takes to heal your brain post losing love and for your brain chemicals to return to normal. Mm. So after I got divorced, I wish somebody had told me this, that it was going to take 18 to 24 months for my brain chemicals to go back to normal. And if you were in a relationship or a marriage that was very long-term with very um, high levels of verbal communication, it can take up to four years Mm -hmm. for everything to really go back to normal. So during that very delicate first year, really cut yourself a break mm-hmm. and understand that your brain chemicals are scrambled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, 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 you're actually a walking scrambled egg. Um, things that help exercise, sunlight, uh, good nutrition, low sugar, um, no drugs, no s- stimulants, um, mm-hmm. talking, talk, talk therapy really helps. Mm-hmm. And then just really giving yourself time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 18 to 24 months uh, is typical. It can take up to four years. And what you're saying is exercise, um, sun, keeping the sugar down, talking it out and time is what can, is what can help it too. So now someone, so let's say they're saying, oh my gosh, 18 to 24 months and it can take up to four years. It's been 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to us about that person who's saying, oh, you know, I, I guess um, 
this, there's something that I'm, I could be doing a little bit differently. What does yeah. he do? Yeah. So, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, it, it's really understanding, you know, how our brains work and, and why we get those hits and why we get those twinges. If you're still having these, um, these old feelings, what's really happening is your, in your brain is you're responding to outside stimuli. So our neural pathways are the roads that our thoughts travel down. And our roads, our thoughts travel down these roads based on outside stimuli. So if you hear a song or uh, I actually just experienced this the other day, I happened to um, have to go to a safety deposit box, which was in the area where I lived with my ex-husband. And as I was driving through those old familiar roads. I was flooded with memories. My thoughts were responding to the visual outside stimuli and they were traveling down these old neural pathways and I was experiencing these old feelings. Mm -hmm. So getting a handle, um, some measure of awareness and saying, okay, what's going on here is I'm, I'm checking this outside stimuli. It's having an impact on me. I'm being flooded with memory and emotion. And you can, using neuroplasticity, start to rewire your brain so that if you haven't had the opportunity to move or really change your life up, you're not going to just get slammed all the time with these feelings. And I love that you brought that up. So now talk to us about the person, because it happens a lot uh, with a lot of the listeners where they're, they're doing their best to heal. They're working so hard. But let's say their ex uh, is now with someone else and they're in the same community. They see them, or maybe they're even working in the same company. So they they want to rewire their brains as best they can what are some what are some tips and and tricks and strategies just to just to help with that oh yeah and and first of all guys if you're going through that i'm sorry <laughs> that's brutal right that, that's yeah. brutal mm -hmm. so you know step one cut yourself a break because that's absolutely gnarly um mm -hmm. a, a technique that i absolutely love is really simple it's called think feel experience. And the way that think, feel, experience works actually mimics the chemical interplay that you need to build new neural pathways. So step one is awareness. If you have that outside activating event, like you see your ex in the hallway, you see a picture of your ex with someone new, you know what happened to me? This was crazy. Um, in my uh, old Amazon account, I started getting um, notices when my ex-husband had his first child and I was getting Ugh. the baby gift, right? I called Amazon and I was like, okay, <laughs> we need to, we oh, need to work stop. this out because this, I mean, this is hilarious, but it like, it really needs to stop. And the, the woman on the other end was very compassionate and it, and it was very funny. Uh -huh. Um, so step one is awareness that I'm having a negative automatic thought. Mm -hmm. My thought has just traveled down a neural pathway it's access to this collection, this little cloud of memory and emotions, and it's triggering me. Mm -hmm. So it's, how do you know if you're triggered? Somatic, soma is body. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about throat, chest, stomach, back of the neck, that anguish, that psychological wincing. That's how you know you're experiencing a negative automatic thought. Mm -hmm. So awareness right there in the moment, call it out. This is a negative automatic thought and I don't have to take it. I don't have to be subject to it. Mm -hmm. That takes some practice. So if you're going to work with this technique, I would say just stay with that for a little while until you get really good at identifying the negative automatic thought and then peeling back and saying, you know, okay, I don't have to take it. And then mm -hmm. step two is you replace it. 
This is where the neuroplasticity comes in, the growth. The, the formula it mimics is insight, experience, insight. So you come up with a concept of realistically what you would like to think, feel, and experience instead. Mm-hmm. And you rinse and repeat. Whenever that negative automatic thought comes on, pause, declare it. This is a negative automatic thought. I don't have to take it. What do you want to realistically think, feel, and experience instead? With repetition, Mm -hmm. you will reroute the way that your brain responds to that very same outside stimuli. I love that. And, and what I would, what I would just add to that is it's probably best to come up with what you'd like to see, feel, and experience beforehand. So you have it ready when you need it. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, great. So awareness is one tool, then replace it. Uh, coming up with that, or that's where you, you sort of insert what you want to think, feel, and experience instead. Beautiful. Okay. Um, was there a third part to that or was that no it's it's two parts it's two two parts parts. wonderful okay what do you want to make sure everyone knows before we wrap up oh these are very powerful brain chemicals and you know as as you're kind of rolling through life and having these experiences number one you're not alone so look out into the world look at art poetry music movies song everybody talks about love Mm -hmm. it's massive this is, this is an aspect of the human condition. And so you can find genuine compassion for yourself and looking out and saying, look, every human has probably experienced this at one point or another during their lifespan. And I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. These are very powerful brain chemicals. And as I mentioned earlier, it's part of a very strong motivation system that has been hardwired in us as humans. So I have to learn to work with them, not against them. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, it's, it's not, it's still, of course, we're taking responsibility for our thoughts, actions, behaviors, but our brain and our brain chemicals have so much to do with it. So Noelle, where do we go to learn more about you? I am at journey.co. Um, journey is spelled J-R-N-I.co. And if you pop in backslash podcast, you'll find a great kit all about who I am, what I do, and how you can learn more. Oh, terrific. And Noel, thank you so much. I know you helped so many people with what you shared today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, awesome. My pleasure. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like one big chemical concoction, (laughs) serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, these are powerful. And when we know how to manage them, we can feel more in control, balanced, and happy. Stay in touch with Noelle by going to journey.com. And we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. The rebalancing of chemicals after a breakup can take anywhere from 18 months to four years. If you're finding your you're right where you were years ago without any major shifts, try exercise, the sun, keeping your sugar under control, talk therapy, and more. Of course, it takes awareness. Become very aware of what you're experiencing and call it out. Then replace it with what you'd like to think, feel, and experience. This takes work, but it's so worth it, and you're so worth it. Of course, to see what your betrayal left in its wake, take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz at the pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz and 
the PBT Institute membership community is here. Imagine everything you'd ever need to become your physical, mental, emotional best. Community, support, certified coaches and practitioners you can schedule time with, daily classes on all kinds of interesting topics, curated experts teaching advanced strategies in the areas of health, mindset, spirituality, personal development. Imagine the most friendly, welcoming, and supportive place to become your best all online. I'm so excited to welcome you. Just go to thepbtinstitute.com forward slash join to learn more. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.